Hello and welcome to the Andrew Ferris Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the show. Today on the show, I have a legend in the e-commerce space, Ezra Firestone. You've heard me talk about how this episode was coming and uh, it is finally here and I'm really excited about it. I'm excited to talk about Ezra, to talk to Ezra about all kinds of things. If you know Ezra, and you probably do if you're listening to this podcast, you know him as the CEO of Boom by Cindy Joseph and of Overtone and the founder of Zipify and Smart Marketer and, you know, just been around educating a lot of us in the space. was one of the first voices I personally trusted to weigh in on e-commerce strategy and tactics when I was on the early stages of my career learning things. And today on the show, I'm going to actually talk with Ezra about something else you probably know him as, which is a person who cares about values and what is this for and 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 what is the purpose of all of this work that we're doing so i won't delay it any longer i am thrilled to have ezra on the show let's jump into the conversation all right ezra thanks for taking time man i'm so glad to be talking to you yeah man thanks for having me on i, I follow you on twitter so you know it was nice to nice to hear from you and I, and I always like talking about business and life and you know with other people who are in the game so yeah yeah definitely well Let's just, there's probably somebody listening to this who doesn't know or watching this who doesn't know sort of the full scope of what you're doing and, and what your e-commerce background is. So I gave a little bit of biography, but do you want to just give people the quick overview of sort of like your e-commerce background and what you're working on right now and, and those sorts of things? Sure. I started real early. I started back in 2005 with, you know, back then it was drop shipping, but not from China. It was dropshipping from American suppliers. It was like when Wayfair and IVG stores and all those cats started. We were all doing like search engine optimization, exact match domain, you know, SEO to sell grandfather clocks and dog supplies and gift baskets and bar stools. And, you know, I've been, I, I was fortunate enough to kind of grow up in the industry. I moved to New York when I was 18 to play poker for a living. And I ended up finding e-commerce through a whole, you know, series of funny events. And I was America's number one mullet wig, Afro wig, and Elvis wig online retailer in 2008, 2009. So that's kind of one of my claims to fame. I had these, uh, these, these Hasidic Jewish cats. Yeah, because the Jews in New York, they run the wig business. You know what I'm saying? So I had some, I, I found these dudes in Midtown, this cat named Elliot and this other dude named Moodle. And they, they imported wigs from China and they, um, they supplied all the like Halloween stores and stuff. Anyways, so, you know, I've been in the game a long time and I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of successes, you know, and I started blogging about e-commerce way back in like 2011 before it was really popular. And because I was one of the first voices, I was one of the only voices and, and people like Shopify picked me up and made me one of their teachers. And I just, I got a lot of visibility because I was early. I, I wouldn't say I was better than anyone at the time. I just was doing it and talking about it. And that afforded me a bunch of opportunities to meet people, to network, to, you know, learn. And over the years, I transitioned from, you know, things like services agencies to, you know, all kinds of different businesses. And what I landed on that I liked the most was manufacturing my own products. And I started a company in 2010 that I still run today called Boom by Cindy Joseph. And we've done a couple hundred million dollars in sales. I've bought and sold several other companies. I just bought a hair care company that I rolled into the uh, Boom organization. It's a hair dye where you, you know, fantasy hair color. And so that those are that's my main gig as I run that. I'm the CEO of that of those two brands. I also have an education company that's run by a really amazing woman named Molly Pittman. And we teach courses and stuff like that. I have a mastermind where I get people together and we have events. And then I have this other company, which is fun, called Zipify, which is a software company for Shopify. 
So I'm kind of, I'm just in the game, you know, I'm like mainly an e-commerce operator, uh, but I also, you know, do some other stuff on the side and I really love it. And I think there's a lot of, I think entrepreneurs are really cool people. doesn't matter if you're in e-commerce or not, you know, they, they tend to be folks who are out there doing it. So I like, I like engaging with other entrepreneurs and that's why I like doing these podcasts and stuff. Yeah. It's funny. I, I felt the same way. Like one of the things I feel like really fortunate about in my work is that I deal with not like the middle manager at a giant company, but like with entrepreneurs, you know, with people who are like, like you have started a business, found the thing they like, took some risks along the way. And then maybe they've built something small, big, medium size, whatever, but there's like, there's some element of staying close to it. And I, I feel the same way. It's just so fun. Yeah. Just so fun to see those kinds of people succeed. So, and, and you, you were like, yeah, you, maybe it is just because you were early, but like I got an e-commerce in like 2014, really beginning of 2015. And, and at the time, definitely there were just like, it was so, I think I was listening to e-commerce fuel very, very early with Andrew Darian and then seeing you. And those were like, those were like the first two voices that I really trusted and that I would go like the, oh, it wasn't clear that you guys were trying to sell me something. I mean, Udarian had his community, but you know, he, he, he's not, yeah, it just was, was really helpful stuff. I was definitely trying to sell you something. I'm sure you were, I'm sure you were, but it wasn't clear that you were. It wasn't coming yeah, straight I was from also trying to help. You know, I wasn't only trying to sell you something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm trying to sell people stuff, you know, so yeah, that's, it's not, not a problem. That's actually a nice like segue. So I think one of the, maybe, maybe something people will know about you if they've followed you at all is sort of your tagline, which I've seen for you from you for a while. You've had a lot of success and I, you know, I think that's sort of clear. And in a few different places, you, you, you're in the SaaS game, you're in the <laughs> education game. And of course, you've got brands that you yourself are leading and, and working on. You have this tagline, though, serve the world unselfishly and profit. I'll sort of let I'll leave this open ended, but I'm curious sort of to hear you unpack how you came to that, how central that is to what you're thinking. And because because this actually gets into some of the stuff I was most interested to talk to you about. So people listening to this may may expect us to go down the tactics rabbit hole, but I actually want to go down the the purpose rabbit hole a little bit more and because because of some stuff I've seen you put out along these lines and, and actually seen you talk about more and more and more recently. So maybe you could start there. Talk, talk to me about that tagline a little bit. Well, I think it's a description of the way that the world works. It, it's not really like, it's not a mandate. It's not like I'm telling you, go do this. It's I'm describing the way that I see it which is that if you are in a role of service and you're doing so unselfishly, so with the goal of getting yours in the giving, you profit from that act. And you also then profit, your business tends to profit. If, like, if, you're, if the goal of your business is to truly serve, truly make the best products, truly take care of your team and people, you know, truly take care of your customers, and you're constantly looking for how to do that better, you end up with a strong, stable business with people who want to come back and buy more from you. And so you end up profiting through having that as your goal. So yeah, so I think it's how I think it's how things work. I think it's a description of the way things are. And I think it applies to more than just business, you know? So I mean, there's so many obvious examples. And well, so the claim isn't necessarily that the opposite isn't also true, that you could serve the world selfishly and profit, right? Like, because I mean, it seems to me that plenty of people do that as well. Well, I mean, you have to look at what is your what is your description of profit, right? So if you are interacting with the world in a way that is out of integrity with your own moral compass or the world's moral compass, you're going to pay for that in some way. And you may pay for that in how you feel about yourself and your own mental state. 
You may pay for that in certain things that come your way because of your actions and behaviors. It's like you, there's a price to be paid for your actions. And so you might as well act in good faith and in integrity because you want the price that's going to be paid to be a good one. So, okay. So this is great. Okay. So if you take profit purely as dollars, it's, it's possible that you could serve the world. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You could be a total asshole and pilfer and steal and be terrible to people and still, and still make a monetary profit. But, but I'm talking about a, a greater sense of the word profit, which is profit as a human being, profit as an individual, profit as a, and also, pro, you know, and part of that is, you know, you got to feed yourself and take care of your family and have some surplus to spread around to others. So that's profit as well. But my, I'm, I'm looking at profit. If you're only focused on money, go ahead and enjoy that life. Good luck with that strategy. See how that goes. So, okay, so do you have any sense of what you, how you think about, I mean, I, maybe the way to ask is how do you know when you've profited in your definition? Well, you feel good about what you've done, right? You, you feel good about the way in which you are navigating your world. And I can tell in my life when I'm out of integrity, as soon as I start to break deals that I made with myself, Right. So I made a deal with myself that I was going to do something or, or behave in a certain way. And then all of a sudden I'm not doing that, or I'm not, I'm not walking that path. I need to either check the shelf life on the deal that I made and make sure it's a deal I still want to adhere to, or get myself back in alignment because I'm out of alignment with, with my own moral compass. And so I think I forgot your question, but uh, you answered it is because the question was like, how do you know when, when you've profited in that case, right? Because because with dollars, it's pretty easy. You can tell pretty fast. There's a, there's a balance sheet now. Although, although it's worth noting probably that actually one of, the, one of the sneaky things about dollars is that it actually isn't that clear when you've profited because if that's the whole goal, the goalposts will incessantly move. They will incessantly move. They will, they will, not, they will actually never be enough. Well, what tends to happen is your, your consumer habits raise with the amount of money that you make. And so you end up sort of in a similar spot. Like a lot of people who make money have an easy time making it and a hard time keeping it and maintaining it and having it work for you and creating savings and vehicles of investment and things like that's a lot harder than it is to make some cash. So it's more, it's a more difficult game to, to figure out how to keep it than it is to figure out how to constantly make it. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you can do that, then the consumption standard just raises even more, right? So like if, if money is the only goal, I mean, I, I, the example I always give it is, money, is go ahead. Money will buy you comfort. It won't buy you happiness. Right. Yeah. The example I always give it is like everybody has who's run a Shopify store for any amount of time knows what it's like to look at the Shopify dashboard and to see the number get to the highest number it's ever gotten to. And within five seconds, you think about how how can you beat it? right? It is so fleeting. And I think that that basically that same thing is happening with like your personal checking account or whatever, you know, or your investments, you know, it's like, it's just, it's very, very hard. And I'm, I personally feel like I have a lot of clarity to this issue. Like I'm, I've identified this and, and have noticed it in my life and have put my finger on it. And it's still really hard for me. <laughs> you know, it's so insidious. It's just like, I'm, I'm like not above this at all. I've thought about like, I have, I have right now, let's just be totally realistic. I'm doing fine. I'm in a stage of my career where I'm, you know, making the most money I've ever made, all those things. In the same time, still feel like, wait, how could I, 
how can I get that number up more? How can I get that number up more? I need nothing. I have no need for anything. And I'm not even a big super spender or anything, but it's just there's something about the game of pursuing it more, even aside from the consumption, that it always goes there. And there's nothing wrong with that inherently. It's a fun game to play. It's fun to try to grow. But understanding that it's just a game that you're playing, that, you know, once you're at once you're at satiated, right, obviously there's people listening to this podcast who are in the position I was when I started, which is they're hungry. They are not satiated. They don't have stability. They don't have their bills paid. They don't have a, you know, it's like that's a different you're operating from a different perspective and vantage point And you're in a different spot when you're like, tr- you know, hungry than when you're like pretty stable. And now it's about how do you, you know, take care of the folks around you, take care of your family continue to do what you're doing better while enjoying the other parts of your life. I think the secret to the game of life is getting good at enjoying what you have, right? If you can want what you have, you have won. Because there was a a Jewish rabbi, his name was Maimonides, and what he said, this was like, you know, thousands of years ago, maybe 5,000 years or something, was that it's a far greater skill to have the ability to enjoy what you have than to have the ability to get what you want. Because if you get what you want and you can't enjoy it, what was the point of getting it in the first place, right? So getting good at finding right and finding enjoyment in the here and now with what you have ultimately leads you to getting more of what you want and makes the things that you do get more pleasurable. So, okay. So, I mean, I completely, completely agree with that. And I'm reminded of a lot of different sort of comments to the same same end and quotes the same end. And and real quick on that, one of the things that you want is to chase and to pursue. And and you can enjoy that process as well. You can enjoy the pursuit, you can enjoy the chase, you can enjoy the striving and trying to make it, you know, it's like that is a valid experience also. I'm not saying don't have that experience. I'm just saying also spend some time and energy and effort focused on enjoying what else, you know, the goodness that you have in your life. Because if you're listening to this podcast, you probably live in the West. So, okay, you live in the best country in the world or, or you live in Europe, you know, it's like you live in a Western free society. You've got food and shelter probably for the most part. And nobody's making you do anything. I mean, this is the greatest that anyone has ever had it in human history. You're doing better than everyone who's ever lived. Yeah. And that's actually another insidious thing, though, right, is that people, especially in a sort of, especially a bunch of entrepreneur types, you know, who are sort of naturally competitive and risk risk takers and some of that, they're just going to select for people who are just going to compare themselves to the people above them, you know, as the as sort of the, the natural thing. And, I, you know, that perspective shift is really helpful, I think. So what have you done in your life to actually do that? How are you, Ezra Firestone, enjoying the things that you have? And what has helped you to do that? Maybe, maybe also what has what has made it harder for you to do that? I'm curious if there's times when you have felt like that's been out of whack for you. Yeah. So the the, the secret to this game is to be present in your life, right? Like to actually derive, like you get as much enjoyment out of an experience or a moment as you are willing to derive from it as the amount of attention that you're willing to bring to it. And it's a practice. It takes energy. It's why the, I do this. I did this talk on the Buddhists, right? That, that, that there's certain monasteries where they will have you, you show up there and they'll say, okay, go cut the grass with scissors. And you'll be like, what? 
I'm like, no, go cut the grass with scissors. And so you're out there and you're cutting grass, you're cutting the grass. And most people think, well, that's a stupid thing to do. But what you learn is that, hey, this is an area that I'm directing my attention. And, you know, you start listening to the birds and seeing the little grasshoppers and seeing the beetles. And like you start to understand that the amount of attention that you bring to an, to a moment is equivalent to the amount of experience that you can have in that moment. And that's a practice, right? And so you get out what you put in to your life. And that comes with that comes with the enjoyment as well, right? As much as you're willing to enjoy it, which is as present as you're willing to be with it, which is a practice. And the other thing that I think robs people of enjoyment of their life is the very, very, very common, I mean, almost unanimous experience that people have of feeling inadequate in some way, right? People are sold from the time they're fucking born that they're broken, that they're flawed, that they need fixing, that their teeth aren't white enough, that they don't smell right, that they're, they don't have enough hair, that they don't have enough muscles, that their hair's not the right color, that they're too fat, that they're too skinny, that they're, you know, whatever, you know, they don't make enough money. They're whatever it is. And people buy into this viewpoint that they're inadequate and that they're flawed and they're constantly trying to fix it. They're, they're defending against some societal conditioning of their own inadequacy. And as long as you're doing that, good luck. I mean, you're going to be constantly playing defense in your own head, comparing yourself to others, worried about ways in which you're not good enough. And the real secret is to figure out how to get happy with who you are, to actually approve of yourself, genuinely find yourself right. Like you're not broken. You don't need fixing. You're right just the way that you are. And maybe you want to add on. And that's fun, but you're doing so from a place of it would be fun to add on to myself versus I need to fix myself to get right. And as long as you're trying to get right, and as long as you're trying to, you know, fix some perceived flaw, you're going to have a hard time enjoying yourself because you're going to be constantly in this mental masturbation around your own bullshit. Is the belief that I am flawed itself a flaw or is that something i should accept no it's just holding you back it's just it's not true for one okay you're not i mean hey maybe you have some hey we've all had our like maybe you have some trauma you had some abusive parents whatever you had some you've had some traumatic experiences and you're carrying those with you and those are things that you want to work through and they're you know they and it has you have fear of intimacy or whatever what maybe you you have some like you're a product of your conditioning and your experiences, right? If you grew up in a certain place with certain viewpoints, you probably adopted those viewpoints, whether or not you recognize it. If you had certain traumatic experiences, you probably have some behavioral patterns that are stemming from that. But that doesn't make you broken, wrong, or inadequate. That just makes you a person who's had a certain level of conditioning and experiences. And maybe you want to work through that in certain ways or change that or add on to yourself, but, but you don't have to do so from the viewpoint that you're broken and need fixing. You could do so from the viewpoint that you're right just as you are and things are good and you want to add on to your already good life. And it makes it a lot easier when you operate from that viewpoint to have a fun and pleasurable life. And it's your choice, right? You get so, so what's interesting about us as humans, right, is in this particular society, right, in the West, is we are the ultimate arbiters of our world. And what that means is like you for the most part, get to direct where you put your attention. 
you could choose to leave your wife and kids and go to the beach and be a bum, you know, deadbeat dad. You could choose to do that, right? And put your attention on yourself and your own whatever you want, right? But what you're choosing is to put your attention on your work life and your kids and your wife and, you know, baseball and your hobbies. So like you get, you're choosing where you direct your attention, right? Which means you're choosing the experience that you have. And then you are placing a value judgment, positive or negative, on the experience that you just perceived. So you got to choose what you perceived for the most part, right? You don't get to, you didn't get to choose COVID. That just happened, right? So this is like, there's levels to this. The, the whole world was affected by that thing. You get to choose how much you engaged with the bullshit. Now you didn't get to choose whether or not you wore masks in certain places. But my, my point is, for the most part, you're getting to decide where you place your attention. And then you're getting to decide whether the experience that you just had by where you placed your attention was good or bad. That's a lot of fucking power. That's a lot of agency in your world. And if you were to choose to find more of your experience as positive and right and good and approve of it and enjoy it, you'd have more fun. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. I think interested because it's like, let's take the example you just gave. Like, let's say I go and be a deadbeat dad, right? Let's say I go take you up on that. Is the answer to that to stop being a deadbeat dad or, or is the answer to that to accept, accept that choice in, my, in myself? Do you understand what I'm saying? I think there is a, so society would tell you that, you, you know, you are a terrible human being for leaving your wife and kids. And so there's people who would have that viewpoint, right? So yes, yeah, some would, right? But for the most part, I think it's pretty unanimous. You get looked down upon if you're, if you're, you know, not supporting this family that you've created. Maybe there's more to the story. Maybe your wife is not someone who you can relate with in a good way. And it's not, there's no way for you to win there. And there's no way to engage in a way that's safe. And you can't get the kids away from her. Like, I don't know what the situation is, but, but what if, I don't what think if there is an inherent awesome. right or wrong. What if, what if I'm just being selfish? <laughs> you know what I mean? What if I'm just like, and I, and I just threw a value judgment on there, but this is, this is actually, the reason I'm asking is I think it's a really interesting thing that you're bringing up. And I'm not trying to just be like, do a gotcha thing here. Like, I, I think it's a, it's a really interesting question because I hear, I hear this kind of thing all the time. And there is this sort of, there is this weird mix in humans of like, I think everybody can intuit what you're saying has this truth to it of this sort of notion that like, if you don't actually have some sense of value for yourself and belief that like what your experience matters and, and some of those things, it's going to be really, really hard to ever sort of experience real joy and have the kind of outcomes that you want in your life. Right. At the other hand, I think the other thing that is like, there are just clearly some things about myself that I actually do want to change and I would like to be different and all of that. And, and I actually think they're negative qualities of mine. But, but here, here's what I'm saying is that finding yourself right doesn't remove or make less valid the desire that you have to change things about yourself. But you're starting from the point of view of you're a good, right person who is walking through the world, making the best decisions you can make based on the information that you have. And you feel good about that. And hey, you know, you want to change some stuff? Great. But you're not doing so because you think I am fucked up and I need, you know, it's like as long as you think you're fucked up, you're going to have a hard time. If you think I'm a good person with integrity and I'm doing the best I can and I'm working towards X, Y, and Z goal, great. But that's not where a lot of people are coming from. A lot of people are just defending against, you know, their own perceived limitations. They're defending against the ways in which they think they're wrong, they've been conditioned to believe that may not actually be true. 
And then going back to your wife and kids, it's like, I don't, I'm not the arbiter of morality here. I don't know what's right or wrong for you. I think you got to make the decision for yourself. Maybe that would then set up your kids to be some kind of, you know, they would have like, they grew up without a dad and it sets them up to be some kind of amazing, who knows what that would do for them. You know, I don't know what the right, you know, I wouldn't leave my wife or kids. That doesn't sound like fun or like a choice I would want to make. Hey, if you've been listening to this podcast for a little while now, you know that I love working with more staffing and I love working with them because they will connect you to incredible talent for your e-commerce business in the Philippines. They will do all of the important work of recruiting, getting you great candidates. I just went through their process of finding incredible candidates for my own business in the Philippines and they were so easy to work with. They found the talent, they put the talent in front of me in a way that was easy to digest and they are going to do the work of onboarding, recruiting, training, all the things that need to be done to bring great e-commerce talent from the Philippines into your business. I love this partner, I want you to go check them out. If you are interested in adding talent to your business from the Philippines, and I don't know why you wouldn't be at this point, you can get incredible people at a much lower cost than doing that in the US, but also in a way that is awesome for them in the Philippines, it's gonna support their careers. It is a win-win across the board, and you should be considering it. So virtual assistants are helpful. Virtual professionals can be transformative for your business, and that is what is available to you with my friends at More Staffing. If you're looking at expanding your team, take a call with them, explore whether or not you should be adding talent from the Philippines at anywhere in your e-commerce business. Incredibly talented professionals across the board. Go to morenow.co, tell them I sent you. That's morenow.co to get started with more staffing today. I mean, on the other hand, you did just you did just give me a sense of like sort of a, a way to approach a better and worse life. That was pretty heartfelt. And by the way, I, I think that's great. <laughs> like I, I think you you have a sense of of view, you have a point of view in the world and sort of that leads to more and less thriving in people's lives, the way you just framed it, right? You just framed an idea of like my self-acceptance in a way that ought to do that. And I realize also that you're you're doing that in a way that you're you're I think you're doing that with some humility in the sense of you're going like, well, yeah, there's maybe something I don't know about the situation and all those things. But this is this is like and I, th- this is so interesting to me because even when you get to some of these questions that I first wanted to bring you on for, right? The, the, the thing that triggered me reaching out to you was I saw this video of you where you're talking about, you know, this goal of business success being to create assets that have value independent of your time, right? Like a business or something like that. And then to use that as the wealth generation machine. And this is, I think, what almost everybody who's listening to this is trying to do in some way or another, you know, trying to mark up their time a bunch or whatever, but they're trying to create wealth for themselves. And that's what success in some way is measured by. And so we've already poked at that some, which I love. But then you also point to this idea of, of ultimately the purpose of actually generating surplus wealth is the phrase you just used a little bit ago, and then being able to, to allocate some of that towards causes that you find noble, right? And that being sort of like one of the main goals even of business. And that's a really fascinating goal because it is actually a really sort of, in one sense, others-focused goal and not a self-focused goal. But in another sense, one of the things that I get from you is that actually the world is actually that it's totally self-interested. And I mean that as a good thing, that you're actually trying to generate joy for yourself and that the, the case you're making for generosity in this case and for giving here is actually self-interest. Well, it feels good to give. Right. It feels good to give. And I think, look, the first step is feed yourself, okay? Like literally before anyone else, take care of yourself. Because if you are 
burnt out and tired and diminished and hungry and energetically depleted, what good are you going to be to anyone else? You got to, you got to fill your cup so that you, you cannot, you cannot pour from an empty cup. So take care of yourself. Like, you know, take, put your oxygen mask on and then put the oxygen mask on the person next to you on the plane. Right. So then you take care of your family and your community because that's the, you know, how fun and good of a life are you going to have if it's just you and everyone around you is fucking hungry and miserable. It's like, no. So, So the next step seems to be take care of the people around you. And then the circle goes one wider. Take care of the people around them because that's what feels good and that is what is fun. And that's like, for me, I'm not, look, you would adopt whatever goals you, you, you want. But the way I look at the world is I'm interested in generating resource. I didn't gr- grow up with resource. I grew up poor, right? And So that I can take care of my family and my community and myself and then also use that resource towards causes in the world that I find noble. And like, hey, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. It's a very big, very big world. And no matter how big your business gets, it's unlikely you're going to be able to address all of them. So kind of pick and choose the ones that are meaningful to you that feel good to engage with, you know, and I, and, and that it feels really good to do. And it's also like, what is the point of having? If not, you can't take it with you. You're going to die. What, what are you going to do with this resource? Put it in a trust so that your kids down the line can spend it. Okay. Put some of it in there. They're probably going to blow it. You know, might as well use it for stuff that is impactful. I, yeah, the way I've talked about this is sort of like joy return on investment. And there's like, like J-R-O-I, you know, it's like, because that's actually what everybody's trying to do. I think it, like when somebody buys a car, right, they're not actually trying. I mean, if they buy like, let's say like a luxury car more than they need. Right. So there's, there's like level one, which you just referenced, which is like, take care of your needs. And I mean, you could sort of define that as maybe a broader sense of your spiritual needs and your, and your, all those kinds of things. But I'm even talking about here from a pure financial standpoint, like food and clothing, you know, like there's. There's an element of that that I think is is sort of a baseline level of there's going to be a pretty high joy return on investment if you go from literally lack to like having enough, you know? I think that's been pretty well documented too, actually. There's like a, a meaningful growth and happiness when you stop struggling to get by. But then, and there's exceptions to that too, but anyway. Then there's another another step though. Let's say you buy a luxury good of some kind. When somebody buys a, let's call it a yacht. Maybe that's an easier version. If you buy a yacht, what you're actually trying to buy is joy. You're actually not trying to buy the boat, I think. You're trying to buy... The thing the boat gives you, which is which is joy, and you may have all kinds of reasons why you think it will get you there, and hey, maybe it will, maybe it will have some kind of return for you. But but that's the thing people are interested in, and so so I'm interested to hear how you arrived at the case that the best because like like you've been in e-commerce for a while, so far as I can tell, you've been very successful. Uh, I don't know, maybe you have a yacht, but <laughs> but like what what's the like make the case that make the case to me. That the joy return on your investment in generosity is actually higher than keeping that money for yourself. Because you could put it in a trust or you could go buy way more nice stuff and cool toys for Ezra, you know? So burn it all before you die. So I think everybody's desires are different. But what I find is that the juice of life, the sweetness of life, the goodness of life is found in intimacy and connection and relationships. That is really what it's about. You know, you... you you have a death in the family or something and you realize you realize what actually matters in the world, right? This, this is a common experience that people report and it's certainly one that I've had myself. And so if you subscribe to that idea that really what it's about is relationships and community and intimacy and connection, then baubles are fun, like stuff, right? But they're more fun shared with other people. How fun is it to drive your sports car alone? It's okay. More fun to drive your sports car with your wife in it. You guys go out on a cruise together. That's fun, you know? 
and there's a there's a side of generosity where if you just give people stuff, sometimes they don't value it, right? Yeah. So one hundred percent, you don't want to just give things away necessarily. You want to ensure that what you're giving is given in a way that people can actually receive and feel good about and enjoy. So there's like levels to that as well. But I think that ultimately, my experience and viewpoint is that what's fun in life are experiences and relationships and community and and so that's what I optimize for. And and I I, I have fancy stuff. I have $150,000 Mercedes. I like fancy. I'm into consumerism. I'm not anti-buying stuff. I buy stuff that I want and need. I don't buy stuff that I don't need or that I don't want or that, you know, like I, I'm not like just crazy about spending money on shit, but I'm happy to buy nice things. It's fun. My wife likes to buy nice house stuff. I got a whole gym set up over here. Like it's, it's fun to have things. I'm not anti-having stuff, but I think there is a level at which, you know, I see often people consuming for the sake of consuming and going from one thing to the next versus like, do you know how much joy I get out of my kettlebells? I love those things. Whatever Russian cat 500 years ago decided to strap a handle to a cannonball and invent the greatest fucking workout implement of all time was a genius. And it's like, I love those things and I enjoy them. Three days a week, I'm playing with those things and having fun with them. So I'm into like, I'm into buying things that I will use and enjoy. I'm not into buying things just to have them. Yeah, those are a buck fifty a pound, though. You know, I mean, I think that's like that's not out of reach for a lot of people. Like, I think the hundred fifty thousand dollars car is an interesting question. Like, and again, like I think you know, as you've referenced some of this and some of the things you've heard about, uh, you know, we're recording this like the day after. I think it was uh, there was a, a thread that went sort of sort of viral on Twitter about Patrick from Profit Well, you know, having a two hundred million dollar exit, and then like just sort of like the difficulty afterwards of the insane range of emotions related to that kind of exit and sort of the good and the bad. And, and I'm continuing to be, continue to be fascinated by this question of sort of like meaning and purpose and, and, and really how do you optimize for joy? Like you talked about optimizing for relationship and I actually love that term for this. And this is sort of the phrase that I've, I've thrown around. The closest I have to serve the world unselfishly and profit is optimize for joy. I think that's, I think that's the, the real thing that's everywhere. I think there's no single human action that isn't self-interested in the entire world. I think Mother Teresa, every second of her life was self-interested. I, I don't mean that as a value judgment. I'm, it's exactly what you said about your phrase, right? Which is like, I just think that's the way the world is. Everything we do is in some ways coming back to that. And that like, possibly it's the case that the highest joy return on your investment is actually in terms of generosity. What I'm really curious about is Sort of like, even if you can measure the joy return on your investment and measure, quote unquote, I know, you, you know, there's no graph here, but like the joy return on your investment in times you've given generously to something that you cared about, to a, a cause you found noble versus uh, on your $150,000 Mercedes. Like, do you have any, do you have any sense of those kinds of things? Or is that not the way you look at it? That's the way I'm framing it. You don't have yeah, to frame I mean, it that way. I think it comes back to, again, how you feel about yourself, Right. It's all about like how you feel in relationship to yourself and your world. And having a fancy sports car is fun. I enjoy. I love looking at that thing. I love driving it. It's. I, I looked at it for ten years before I bought it. Every year I looked at every variation of it. I could afford it for a long time, but I was kind of like, ah, do I really want this crazy car? Like, am I going to be that guy? You know. And then also doing things in the direction of my community and my family and my friends, building the house for my parents. Like that stuff feels really good. And I think about that, and that makes me feel good. It makes me. It, so I think it all it all has its place. It's not like what, there isn't really a uh, a scale or a spectrum here. And I think the same is is to be said for you know money. Like I got a friend who's a musician who gardens and plays music, doesn't make a lot of money, and is happier than most people that I know. It's like you don't need a lot to be happy. You have to be 
enjoying the choices that you've made and the way in which you're walking through your life. That's the key is to be in agreement, in integrity with, and happy about how you're navigating that. And it doesn't really matter. You don't have to be generous and you don't have to make money. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You just have to figure out a way to enjoy what you have and enjoy the decisions that you've made and find those right. And that's what it's about. And there is, I don't think there's really a scale of which is better. I think they're all good and they all contribute to you having a good life. And I want, I have the goal of wealth creation. I want the fucking fancy car and and the hundred acre property and I want all that shit too. So that makes me feel good to have that, you know? Yeah. I'm curious if you have ever had a moment of generosity that where you've, where you've gotten a noticeable high joy return. Like, do, do you know what I'm saying? Where you've given to, to something and you know, uh, this could be touchy. People may not want to give to this, but or pe- people may not want to share this sort of thing. But if you're comfortable sharing sort of a time when you've given. And you've, I you've believe in doing anonymous good. So I believe in, in doing, putting good things out into the world, taking care of people, contributing to causes anonymously. And that feels better because if it is not anonymous, it's barter, whether you want it to be or not, because the person now knows you have given them this thing and they feel some form of, you know, need for reciprocity. They feel indebted to you. So my favorite strategy is to do anonymous giving because I put good out into the world and there is no where for anyone to place the blame on that. They just experience it. And that actually feels the best. Yeah, that's interesting because then it's uh, it's still self-interested, but it's self-interested without getting something back from the bartering. You know, it's self-interested p- purely on the joy return. You know, like the, like you said, that feels the best. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the highest form of giving when the person who is receiving it doesn't have any way to, who it's just pure, it, it's just, it's just good that came their way. And there's nowhere for them to attach that to. So they can just receive it and they don't feel any kind of, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. It. They don't have to. Yeah, that's yeah, because it can actually be hard to receive gifts too, especially if that happens. It's very so hard. If you, Receiving if you is take... harder than giving. I have a hard yeah. time with it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Look, we I, I don't want to go past our time. There's so I mean, we could do this. This is these are these are some of the most fundamental questions of human life. So we could we could spend a lot of time on this. But let's let's give the people one tactical e-commerce thing because they came and they sat through the, the meaning conversation. So here's here's my question. I don't to you know guys, how right? many people I don't know how many people we kept with this stuff, man. I don't yeah. know how I think we kept a lot. I think every I think people are hungry for for this kind of information. Like when you look at sort of who is popular in culture and who's talking right now, like it's I think there's a lot of people who are hungry for it. So hopefully it wasn't like eating your vegetables, you know. But just I'm just curious one thing with from from where you sit right now, one thing that's sort of top of mind for you that you think is like a something you're seeing work or just any anything that's sort of top of mind with Product okay, yeah, development. Great, great. Everybody is is so focused on marketing and ads, and it's like all you got. You have to be, but most, but it's like, yeah, you have to have good ads and good sales funnels and good email marketing, good SMS and good optimization, all that jazz. But the people who put as much energy into the optimization of their product and the product development pipeline as they do into the marketing win the game, because ultimately. The best promise wins the customer. The best product wins the repeat customer. And so if your product doesn't live up to the promise that you made, you'll never get another customer again. And so what we're doing is constantly making our products better, listening to feedback, changing the packaging, changing the formulas, trying to make them better, releasing version two, adding on products that people who bought from us once would like. And that has really been our secret to weathering the intensity of the post-COVID down period of e-commerce. It's tough out there. 
ads are tough, you know, email is tough, you know, margins are thin, everything's more expensive. It's it's a rough time in e-commerce. You know, we're down year over year. We're not up year over year, but we are one of the things that's really working in our favor is product launches and product optimization. It's really good. I have thought for a long time that, you know, especially on the retention side of things that there's very little tactically that you can do that can meaningfully move the needle on retention. You could do some stuff, of course, uh, and, and there's exceptions to this, but but that, yeah, it is so much about what you acquire a customer to that is going to end up like meaningfully changing their relationship to your brand and to your product. So uh, that's exactly the kind of thing I was looking for. I thought like I, I everybody I ever talked to on this show who's involved in the day-to-day in the trenches, there's something that's bubbling to the top of their mind that they're just thinking about a lot and noticing a lot. So Great answer. All right, man. Um, listen, where can people find you if they want more of that good Ezra Firestone content that they've been getting for all these years? Instagram at Ezra Firestone, smartmarketer.com. I'm on Twitter, uh, although I don't get a lot of love over there because I do videos and Twitter, you got to write stuff. So so anyways, I'm on Twitter too. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm on Facebook. You can find me. You know, but Smart Marketer, I think, is like, you know, if you're interested in more long form content, blogs and courses and all that kind of stuff. And thanks for having me on. This was fun. I like talking about this stuff. Yeah, good. And of course, all those links are in the show notes. I'll also link out to Zipify. I have used One Click Upsell a lot in the past. One, I know that's not the, the, the entirety of it, but that's also something that's a sort of a no-brainer for a lot it's of our brands. Best it's, it's, it's 70% of the business. It's the best app for sure. It may, I mean, it, it makes all sense in the world. If you don't know One Click Upsell, it's post-purchase upsells. And so you've already collected credit card information. It is just extra AOV. And it, it has very little downside that I can really see, and especially when done well. It makes a lot of sense. So go check that out if you were looking to add a little bit of AOV as well. Again, links to everything in the show notes. Ezra, this is a conversation that most people have with me. I specifically sought you out to have this conversation. I really appreciate you doing it. Sometimes these things can be vulnerable. They can get into all kinds of stuff. And so I am sincerely grateful for you taking the time to uh, to talk to people about things you've learned in your success and your time. And, and man, uh, we appreciate you. You're, you're an important part of the e-commerce industry and, and you've, you've been a lot of help to a lot of people. So thanks. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Hey, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. I was so excited to talk to Ezra about that stuff because he is clearly a deep thinker who cares about a lot of these things. He's working hard in his businesses to not only create a great business, but to do things that I think are meaningful and important in life. And that I think is what most of us are actually all about. The pursuit of joy, the pursuit of meaning, the pursuit of purpose, the things that are going to be truly and deeply satisfying. And I'm always glad to kick those around with not only somebody who's been really successful, certainly much more successful than I have been and measured at least in dollars and also just like a, a famously good dude. So really appreciate it as we're coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed that a lot. I love your feedback on this episode. If you have any of it, just email me at podcast at ajfgrowth.com. Reach out to me on Twitter at Andrew J. Ferris. You know what to do. You know where to find me. All the usual places. And don't forget to like, subscribe, do all the normal stuff with this show. You can do that on YouTube. You can do that on whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. I hope that this has been helpful to you. As always, please let me know if it hasn't been. Until next time, thanks for listening.